Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about learning to live a slower, simpler life in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. Thank you very much for joining us. And my name is Ben McCallery and welcome to Ep 191. 191. Well, we're getting there. We are. We're getting there. Every day. There is no there, but we're getting there. This conversation follows on, if you like, from the conversation you had recently with Justin from Tulo. Mm-hmm. It's a sort of a similar theme. It is, yeah. My conversation with Justin was really popular. I think a lot of people are looking for more specific ways of tapping into the sharing economy and, and minimizing our personal footprints. Mm-hmm. And Hedo, our guest today, is the GM of the Bauer Reuse and Repair Center. So if you live in Sydney, you've probably heard of these guys. They're a pretty, how many years? They're an institution years? in Marrickville. In Marrickville, yeah. So they've been set up there for a long time uh, and have recently opened another center in Parramatta. And we used to visit the Marrickville Center when we lived in the city and um, very happy to see the Parramatta one opening as well. So these guys have a long history of championing reuse and repair. They run repair cafes, they run workshops, they really do a huge amount of work to empower people personally to take on some responsibility, I guess, for the things that we own and and lengthening the lifespan of them, you know, and at the same time keeping things out of landfill and uh, you know, really minimizing our personal impact. And it's, it's a really, really good conversation that does dovetail really nicely into Justin's chat a few weeks ago. It does. And the Bauer work with basically every single council in Sydney, mm-hmm. in the greater Sydney area. And what they're trying to do is, I think, really, really powerful. And Hito talks about his background in Belgium mm-hmm. and how he was fairly high up in the Greenpeace organisation mm-hmm. And I think it's a really interesting chat to see what's happened in, in Europe, which I think are a lot more advanced in this stuff than we are, and what he's trying to do in Australia and the great, I guess, opportunity we have to really change something for the better. Yeah, and that's what I like about it. So the Bauer, they concentrate both on the grassroots stuff, so the workshops, teaching people how to repair their belongings, both um, things like chairs and clothes and bikes and but also electrical items which is a big thing here because charities don't often take them anymore for safety reasons Mm. Uh, so they speak about you know the way that they can can really impact personally and as a result of that they've saved something like 1.3 million kilograms of stuff from going to landfill by by teaching people to reuse, repair, and also doing some of that in-house as well. 1.3 million kilograms. So that's what can happen when you just help individuals. But then on the other end of the the scale, they're also doing really big programs with councils, like you said. Uh, And that I think it's that balance between, you know, individual change Mm. and kind of society-wide change that is that's where the sweet spot is. I think you're getting individuals empowered but also – or the, the big kind of machines of, you know, society need to, to change as well. And need that's to what start they're doing. moving in the right direction, absolutely. Yeah. So Hito and the Bauer have a heap of information on their Facebook page. They do, yeah. So their website is Bauer, B-O-W-E-R.org.au, but the best place to find out more about the Bauer is Facebook. 
So we will link to that on, in the show notes, which is at slowyourhome.com slash 191. But you can also just search on Facebook for the Bauer Co-op and you'll find these guys. I don't want to give too much more away about a conversation because we go in lots of different directions and it's both practical and inspirational and just all around awesome. I really enjoyed sitting in this back room of the, yeah, of the, the workshop. Yeah, the Parramatta workshop. It yeah. was very cool. It's kind of surrounded by all these things that the team is currently rebuilding and repairing it was it was great it's, to see this stuff in action is incredibly inspiring because otherwise it can be just this idea you know this really nice idea that that it's nice that other people are doing it but getting into that space and seeing what they're doing and seeing how passionate they are mm. and why they're so passionate i mean some of the programs that these guys are involved in are amazing mm. you know and hito talks about them specifically but i really came away feeling very Uplifted. Empowered. Yeah. Secondhand is the new normal. Secondhand is the new normal. I love that. Absolutely. Enjoy this chat. Please do. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us today and this morning for letting us in your workshop here at the Bower. No worries. Thanks for inviting me. No, oh, it's a pleasure. I think we've got a lot to talk about. I'm really excited to, I can imagine that. <laughs> to dive into it. So can you, I guess, give us a, a brief overview of where we are at the Bower and what you do here? Sure. You're in uh, Hunter Street number one mm-hmm. in Parramatta currently, and this is the new shop that the Bower opened in October last year. It's our second shop. Uh, the main shop or the first shop is in uh, Marrickville, where we started in 1998, almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what we do is collecting goods from, uh, or diverting is the word, from landfill, uh, household items and, and uh, building material. Yep. And we have uh, service agreements with 21 councils uh, to, to, to do just that, the collection and rehoming of uh, household items. And um, that means that all those councils uh, promote us amongst their residents and they call us and donate goods, which we then, with our truck, pick up. Right. Uh, Even if it's not in very good condition, we can still accept it because we have in-house repair services for woodwork, for bikes, for electronic appliances. And even if that doesn't work, we still have the possibility to refer to other organizations because we have a referral service, as it's called, with uh, a database of close to 1,000 organizations in the Sydney metropolitan area. Uh, who are active in some shape or form in, in reuse, recycling, downcycling. So that means that all those goods, even if we can't uh, sell them or, or repair them, are still diverted from landfill. Mm. Um, so and that's the main thing. In addition to that, we, we try to keep the prices for our goods as low as possible yeah. to make them accessible yep. for people that can't afford uh, new goods. Um, we do a lot of training, a lot of workshops, uh, like repair cafes, but also furniture restoration. Uh, if you're into doing or learning this yourself, we have workshops for kids. Um, and then we do a lot of uh, job on the job training. We have 20 people on the payroll uh, and we actually try to give those people as well an opportunity to learn new skills. Mm-hmm. So 
that's in short what the Bauer Reuse and Repair Center is about. Yeah, and it's it's fantastic. I absolutely love it because I yeah. we were saying before we started recording, we often talk about simplifying, which often means people letting go of things. But the biggest question we're asked about that process is, what do I do with my stuff that I don't want? Because it's absolutely. you know yeah. it's not only serviceable, it's good stuff. It's usable. Yeah. You know, you were using it up until yesterday and now you don't need it anymore so i think it's often a point of frustration for people to realize that there isn't a lot that they can do with it i agree and in a way it's a positive trend um it might sound like it's a it's a problem and there is still a problem Mm. with it but you see indeed a lot more people now understanding that it's better to give it a new new life than throwing it away absolutely but then there's still the issue where can i get away with it and that's where we come in and that's where we indeed can help a lot of people. And one of the things that I, I love particularly is that you accept electrical goods. Yeah. Most charities don't anymore because of safety concerns and things. Absolutely, so yeah. if someone has a DVD player, for example, they can bring it to you. What do you do with electrical goods once you receive them? Well, we indeed repair them. Yeah. Um, we have been doing that actually from day one when we started almost 20 years ago so we have a lot of in-house knowledge we have uh, experts doing nothing else than that in in on the payroll basically mm-hmm. um and it is something you actually learn on the job it's not something you go to school for mm. uh, it's actually not even something that is encouraged by the industry because yeah. they built them to be obsolete to throw them away yep. um, and you see it sometimes it's, it's a very obvious if, if an electronic appliance is uh, made without any screw to mm. open it, you almost can forget it because you have to cut through something, and that means you can't uh, put it together uh, together again afterwards. That's so incredible. So there's planned obsolescence just right in your face. It's deliberately. Yeah. yeah. Or you need special tools that yes. are not available. Um, but if you are a little bit like we, then uh, engaged in it, and you can find ways around it yeah and that's what we are doing all the time and that's how we can help people as well and that's the, the kind of skills we want to share or expertise we want to share with other people in, in repair cafe yeah and you are empowering people to do that exactly yeah. which is kind of you know it's a people power sort of situation i really yeah. it's inspiring and it's even funny that um to a certain extent it's i wouldn't say it's against the law mm. but there are legislations that we have to be aware of like wiring your own place is right. in de facto not allowed by an individual you have to be a certified mm-hmm. electrician to do that and there is a bit of a discussion where that is extend to appliances where you can do that yourself opening and rewiring things right or not right we do it and we have our people are certified it's called testers and taggers so that means they can open they can check and they can check if it's safe and even repair it and we do that, but we also tell every time a person comes in, has an item that they want to have looked at and, and learn how to do it, that it's their responsibility. We, we will ask them to apply safety standards, like a safety switch, which mm-hmm. if you play with your, if you blow it up, it's not going to have an impact on anything else. Yep. So that's the kind of minimum standards and safeties we, we introduce and best practice we want people to follow. But it is still a bit your own responsibility whether you do it or not. Yeah, and I think that, kind of um, fear-mongering by, you know, manufacturers and things is part of the problem because people are terrified to do it, you know, and I really like that you allow people, you give people the the skills while also being sensible, you know. But also from a financial perspective, is it a challenging um, uh, dilemma? Mm. Because it's actually cheaper to buy a throwaway item than to buy one that can be repaired initially. Yes. 
the first year or the first six months. But after a while, when you have to throw away and away and away the same item, it becomes more expensive. Mm. And and that's that's sort of the new culture or the change of mindset that that we try to introduce uh, that that people should engage a little bit more to learn how to repair it. Yep. And it lasts a lot longer. And it's better for environment, better for employment, you name it, for many reasons. Absolutely. It's sort of this it's shifting from this um, short-term yeah, mindset yeah, yeah, into yeah. A, like very long-term. Yes, you know, not absolutely. only are we looking at like a year down the track, no. but 10 years, 20 years, yeah, 30 years. Yeah. And there's this sort of buy it once, buy it well movement that's exactly. starting to yeah. emerge, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know? yeah, for example, even IKEA, which is a, a perfect example of, of the, the problem, um, they have they, they start having more furniture in solid timber now as well. Right. But the vast majority of what they sell is actually chipboard yeah. or MDF. Yeah. Which uh, once you have mounted it, you know you can't do That's anything it. else with it. Yeah. If you move it, if you whatever try to re reorganize it, it falls apart and it's broken and and you have to throw it away. And it's actually even uh, not recyclable. Right. So they create have been creating for many years and actually with popular designs, mm. which was a bonus of why they got so much um, interest. But it's actually not environmentally friendly what they have been doing. But they themselves have now come to realize that there is an end to that approach and that they're talking. I'm not sure if it's already in place about modular uh, designs mm -hmm. where parts can be reused, dismantled and reused again and again and again. And that's, of course, the future. Yeah. That's what they call the circular economy. Exactly. Um, and, and that's indeed how, how it should be organized from, mm. from here onwards. Yeah, I had a really interesting conversation with Tim Silverwood um, recently yeah. on the podcast about that. He's so mm. passionate about yeah, yeah. developing these circular designs and yeah, circular yeah. economy because everything takes resources. Exactly. You know, and yeah. even if a particular item has a limited life, like a lifespan, mm. it's a matter of taking the resources that, yeah. that are in that. that yeah. And that's partly what you do. So we're talking yeah. again about, yeah. say, an electrical item that is not repairable. What do you do to break down the that piece and then reuse the, the parts? Well, um, for electronic appliances, almost everything is, is reusable. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily upcycling, but downcycling. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of a distinction there. That, uh, we, in the first instance, will try to repurpose or re upcycle it. That yeah. can still have a second life. But if that is not the case, you break it down, you strip it back basically to the metal parts, to the, the motor, the wiring or the plastic, mm -hmm. and that can be reused, recycled, downcycled. So in, in, for electronic appliances, it's, it's actually to a large extent manageable to keep it out of the waste uh, mm. sector, but it's an effort. It's, an, it's a responsibility, basically, of each uh, person individually. Mm. And that's where we are engaged in as well. Because we, every item we can't repair, we still keep parts that are Certain at certain point in time uh, reusable, but the rest we will strip it back, and then we have re relations with waste companies who come out, pick it up. For some, we get money, like motors, mm -hmm. uh, metal parts as well. We can sell that, so there is still a life in a way uh, mm. for those items. So we were talking earlier about the fact that the Bauer has expanded. Mm. So you started in Marrickville, yep, uh, and have been in Marrickville for a long time. Yeah. So people in that local area are aware of the options and the possibilities, yeah. you know, and the way that they can extend the lifespan of their stuff. Yeah. You're moving into different areas now. Yeah. 
how much education needs to to happen, I guess, to make people aware that there are options? Yeah, there is a little bit of work to be done in that area, but that's a deliberate choice from our side because mm-hmm. we knew we it's not for nothing in a way that it all started in the universe where, where that culture existed for a long time yep. uh, and, and um, where it has been sort of embedded from, from day one. But we... we over the last 18 years, you can say, have developed this business model that, that works well, that has it based on three components, basically. One is relations with councils. Second is education of the community. Mm-hmm. And third is uh, employment creation, mm. work we create for people. And, and, and we want to continue sharing that with more communities because we believe that, that that model serves a lot more purposes and can benefit a lot more communities. So we came first to uh, Paramatha because this is quite the new extension of, of Sydney. Yeah. But we knew there would be a different culture and that it takes time for us to, to get the story out why we are here, what we actually do, and what the benefits are for the community. So we, we do a lot of workshops here. This place where we are sitting now is actually the workshop in our store in uh, Paramata. And we run every Saturday. Uh, if it's not for kids, it's for adults, tricks of the trades workshops or a repair cafe. Yeah. And, and that's how we try to introduce uh, the thinking around reuse and, and promoting uh, buying secondhand as the new normal. Yeah. But it's a long way to go. We are aware of that. And yeah, it's it's a challenge, but we are lucky in the sense that the council, Paramatta Council, is helping us a lot. It's fantastic. With promoting this. Uh, it's all on every uh, waste calendar, for example, that people have in their in their house and on their fridge. You will see our name and our, our location where people can bring their items. And that's here in this store in mm-hmm. uh, Hunter Street. They can bring all their... Uh, pre-loved items as we call them uh, that they don't need anymore and then we will take care of it we will resell it or repair it or or refer it to other organizations why do you think that education is needed i mean what are what are the biggest roadblocks do you think to buying secondhand and making that normal which Um, it should be there's an element of convenience tradition uh that is and, and cultural, I mean, the mindset is set for when you buy something, I want to be sure that is uh, new, mm-hmm. nice, fashionable, mm-hmm. you name it, all those things, which to a certain extent is understandable because why would you buy something that is not working? So you want to be sure that it's in good nick. But given that people don't trust or have lost the trust in, in, in repairing items, mm. they, they not necessarily believe it's going to last. Yeah. Or they don't know if it's going to be still fashionable if they buy an old item. So, I, And that's where we have invested a lot in to demonstrate um, that you can actually upcycle, repair and, and, and redesign almost from scratch new pieces of furniture that mm. actually look fashionable and, yeah. and are attractive. And the same with electronic appliance. We, we can give warranties for the items that people buy with us, okay. electronic appliance. So it's, all, it's important that we emphasize those elements that it looks like if it is similar to when you buy a new item. And that is as nice and as attractive and unique in a way. Mm. And, and that's where we have consignment programs where people can design here and, and sell. And we have a lot of creative people amongst our members who design furniture in fact, right. from a reused timber. Uh, and which is for sale here. So that's attractive and we get a lot of people for those items. But it, it's the time it takes for people to understand it, to be aware, first of all, that we exist and to come in the store. We have a lot of people here coming in and then uh, walk around for 15, 20 minutes and walk out without buying. Right. 
But when we talk to them, it's clear that this is the first time they heard about it. They have been uh, sort of uh, introduced into the thinking and, and the possibilities. And it will sit there in a mindset, mm-hmm. hopefully, for a while. And then maybe a year, half a year, the next day, yeah. they might come back if they need something or they will share it with other people. Yes. And that's the process. That's the time it will take to tell the story. We also think we will have to go out, and that's part of the plan. And again, this is in partnership with Parramatta Council, um, that we will go to different festivals and, and, and work with the local community groups uh, to uh, yeah, it, tell them the story of what we do. Yeah. We will soon also start with a program uh, for women only, uh, carpentry, basic carpentry Fantastic. for women that we will run here. Yeah. Uh, again, to give them a, a taste of what, what you can do uh, mm. and, and what we do, basically. Yeah, that's wonderful. You were talking earlier as well about some campaigns that you have with refugee centres and yep. domestic violence yeah. shelters. Can you talk a bit about those? Yeah, actually, the, the one in Parramatta here, the, the uh, Migrant Centre here, mm-hmm. uh, is one of those organisations. We have five all up that we have a memorandum of, of understanding uh, agreed with. And it, it means they sent people to us as arm seekers um, once they are released from detention or allowed to settle in uh, then they need uh, accommodation they need uh, furniture mm. and that's the big struggle that those organizations and those individuals um, uh, go through that they they don't have money or they don't have the, the access to those goods and we have plenty of them yeah so what we have done is uh, arranged with a few foundations like vincent fairfax family foundation and sydney mayor foundation they gave us money. We organized a crowdfunding campaign as well. And all up, we have $50,000 collected. Fantastic. And uh, that means that those organizations can send uh, people our way. And, and then uh, they come in, shop without actually have to pay for right. it. Because, because it will be paid by those donations and, and our crowdfunding. That's fantastic. I mean, you can't even imagine what that must mean to, to newly arrived yeah. families it's, yeah. who have nothing. You know, exactly. been through what we yeah. can't even yeah. possibly imagine. That's that's an incredible yeah, campaign. Yeah, I think there's actually a future. What we are trying to prove is that it should become the standard again that people not necessarily go to Harvey Norman to buy. Mm. Because what, what is the truth here is that some of those families, when they are uh, the families, two adults, two kids, can get $2,500 from the government mm-hmm. when they want to settle in. And most of the time they go and buy one couch with Harvey Norman for yeah. $2,000. Here you buy a complete outset for $1,000. Yeah. So what we want to prove is that uh, there should be a new directive or a new, in, yeah, directive is the best word, that, that people should buy secondhand rather than new. Mm. And not necessarily because it's for asylum seekers, but, but because it's better for everybody. It's yeah. a win-win story. It's good for the environment. It's good for the people. It's good for employment. There's many bonuses in that story. Mm. And we want to make that a new normal again, that people start thinking first secondhand rather than new. That's it. And I'd love to see that, mm. you know, emerging more. And I think we're starting to, I think. There is a, a move in that direction, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's the positive thing. Um, we, I think what we are doing is just scratching the surface of what is possible. Mm. And, and we, we are now going to introduce the same for uh, victims of domestic violence. It's another group of people that struggle once they have um, taken the decision to move on or come out of a shelter. They again have the same problem. Where, where, and how can they uh, build or accommodate their house, yeah. uh, furnish it? 
and that's where we can help them. It's maybe new here, new way of thinking, but overseas in Europe, it exists for many years. Right. There's, there's a long tradition in doing just that yeah. for organizations. Um, we try to introduce that here as well. So can you tell me more about yourself and, and where, I guess, this passion for secondhand and reuse and um, spreading the wealth of resources more broadly than they usually are comes from? Yeah. I guess it's a, sort of a lifetime commitment to mm -hmm. uh, environmental uh, sustainability programs of all sorts that I have been involved in. Um, before I came to Australia, which is 10 years ago, okay. um, I worked for Greenpeace, uh, first Greenpeace Belgium for 10 years and then 10 years for Greenpeace International in Amsterdam. Um, where I was responsible for all uh, actions, land, sea, air. Um, uh, so that means I've been involved in many, in, as an activist, basically, in, in a lot of environmental issues, uh, protecting environment. Um, and before that, I was managing a recycling center in Belgium uh, for five years. Right. And a lot of what I'm doing here now goes back to what, already happened there and it might sound a little bit uh, negative but there is a bit of catching up in Australia to Absolutely. happen in comparison with where Europe already is in mm -hmm. terms of thinking around reuse recycling and in that sense there's not really anything new I'm introducing here that does not already exist somewhere else mm. in, in Europe and that's the same with the repair cafe for example yep. it's a concept that comes from uh, the Netherlands Right. And it has evolved, I think, in, in the Netherlands on its own. They have more than 100 councils that, that organize on a, on a weekly, if not a weekly, a monthly basis, a repair cafe. And all over Europe, there's thousands. Mm. And, and it's now spreading to the U.S. And then we introduced it here in Australia three years ago. And now yep. it's spreading here as well. So. Yeah. What impact do you think repair cafes have on a community? Well, there are two elements i think to that story um one is a very practical benefit that they get something repaired mm. that they would like to hold on to for for whatever reason where it is something that uh, emotional or, or family or an old item that that they have had for many years could be also because they don't have the financial means to pay for a proper repair or, mm -hmm. or buy a new item that's one aspect. The other aspect is the social element, uh, that, that you bring people together um, to talk about reuse and repair. And that's why we call it a cafe. Mm. It's not a free service. It's free assistance, free uh, advice that we give to people about how you can repair, but also what you can buy next that is repairable. Yes. And that you share that information with other people. So it's, it's the two elements. It's the environment, but also the social component that mm. is important. That's fantastic. So going back to your personal history and your work at Greenpeace, what's something, I guess, your biggest or greatest achievement at your time there? Would you be happy to share that? Yeah, <laughs> there are probably many. Uh, yeah, of I, course. I have uh, organised hundreds of actions. But um, what I think is more the sort of a, a structural um, change I had introduced at, at the international level. It, it's all about, it, to a certain extent, it's, it's what I'm doing still now. It, it's all about how you tell the story to the public, mm -hmm. how you try to convince 
uh, and convey a message to people. And um, you have the political people in your organization, like Greenpeace. They have the, the scientific people. You have the legal people. They all have their uh, area of expertise, and they prepare their reports. But then you have to find a way to tell the story to the public or make it visual mm. and easy to understand. And that's where the actions or the demonstrations, whatever you want to call it, comes into the picture. And that was my role, to design activities that were easy for people to pick up on the essential message of what the, the file, the political people are trying to convey. Mm -hmm. So designing a model of uh, working together as a team between the uh, technical experts and the more um, communication type of people is, is something I have... a. Uh, engaging in a lot in my Greenpeace time and, and set up communication systems and teamwork and, and new models of working together. And they have survived me for a long, long time. They are actually still in place in, in many of those places. Mm, that's fantastic. What do you think about, um, well, I mean, I have a sense that there is a rise in environmental activism mm. uh, over the past couple of years even. Mm. You know, we're seeing lots of things happening globally that mm. are kind of, drawing a line in the sand mm, mm, mm. and I think people are starting I hope that people are starting to see that the time to act is now if not yeah, 10 years yeah, ago you know yeah. what I mean what changes are you seeing I guess here and globally that are possibly pointing towards a big shift towards you know the way we treat the planet yeah uh, it's true there is an, an increased there is sort of openness and willingness for people to react to the wrong things. It's not necessarily directly leading to active clicktivism. It's, yeah. it's a term that some use as well, that it's easy from behind your computer to say, yes, I support you. But Absolutely. then you go on doing business as usual. Yes. That's the downside, that the personal... Um, engagement might sometimes not be there and, and that they leave it in order to really do the, the hard work. Mm -hmm. But um, it's it's not necessarily a problem because I think what has changed for the better and it's not going to come return back to the old that industry in a way and, and political uh, systems are now in place that will continue to drive for an, on an environmental level, mm -hmm. at least the things in the right direction. And there are two good examples, I believe. If you look at what uh, Trump is trying to do in the US mm. on his own, he pulled out of uh, the Paris Accord, but he's nowhere with it. Yep. It's, it's not going to fly. I mean, the industry is not even following him anymore. They want to go for uh, the right thing and mm -hmm. they will force him to shut up and, and come back on his own decision. This mm. is now already happening, basically. He realized that it's not going to be able to 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 go back in time and put coal and all of those industries back on the forefront. Right. That's the past because the uh, solar and wind and uh, renewable energy has picked up massively yeah. and it's actually cheaper now than, than the coal industry. So there's no way back. Yep. And that's the positive. And, and another thing, and it actually was announced today, that after France, now also the UK, has decided yesterday that in 2040, 2040 there will be no more cars sold in the UK that are not uh, built with energy-friendly uh, right. fuel. In France, that's already decided a month ago. Yeah. And that, those trends are re irreversible. And yes. that, that's what I think is the big difference with the past. And mm. that's the good thing, basically. It is. And I think it's this, this combination between the grassroots movement, yeah. you know, of people doing things like repairing their, per their personal belongings and then the, the big end, like the corporate yeah. 
changes, yeah. I guess. And it's when those two things come yeah. together that, that yeah. things are going to change. Yeah. And I think similarly, I've started to feel more optimistic because we're starting to see those big shifts yeah. as well as the conversations yeah. like these yeah. that I think... You and know, on, a, on a more practical level, if you look back at or, or go more specific here in Australia, there, there are some local governments like Sydney that have introduced zero waste policies. Mm-hmm. And that's actually driving change as well. Because mm-hmm. that means they have to look for... An, it, it was easy here in Australia to just landfill everything. Yeah, you've got so much space. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why in Europe they couldn't do that because they don't have the space. So they have introduced many, many years ago already solutions for that. Mm-hmm. Here, now it becomes a, an obligation as well with the zero waste policies. And now people start looking into, into alternatives and start supporting alternatives. And that's why, again, there's more interest in what we do as mm. well because we have a, a possible solution. Well, not just a possible, we have a solution. We have a solution, yeah. yeah. And, and that's what people start believing in, understanding now and, uh, and showing an interest in more. Yeah, oh, that's, that's fantastic to see that in Australia we're seeing these shifts coming yeah. from, the, from yeah. the council. What do you think got them to that point? Do you think it's people, like people just talking? Well, partly the policies, like I said, zero-waste policies that have been introduced, that it, it's starting costing more to dump it than yeah, to right. reuse it. Yeah. Uh, or to clean up uh, also illegal dumping programs that cost a fortune and, and it's in a way better than to invest a little bit more in, in reusable programs than, than to continue cleaning it up and dumping it elsewhere. But it's it's not finished. Like, And that's a known secret if you want, or it's no longer a secret, but a lot of waste goes to Queensland where right. it's free right. to dump. Right. Here you pay. But the day Queensland will introduce the legislation there as well, that it costs money, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be stopped. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of things that sooner or later have to happen. You see the same with uh, plastic bags now that are, yep. it, it's still not a legislation, but the uh, Woolies and the um, uh, Coles have decided themselves uh, based on the public pressure or mm. uh, profiling themselves as, as the Greenies, mm. that they introduce that themselves and now legislation will follow suit. So yeah. that's the kind of things that makes a difference. Uh, yeah, so then you see things like programs like the War on Waste, exactly. you know, it yeah. gets people talking, yeah. Yeah. you know, Keep Cup's website yeah. crashed, for example, because yeah. everyone wanted to buy yeah. a yeah. reusable coffee yeah. cup. So I think those things really do yeah. matter because... We were in that program as well. We were a uh, part of it when they, 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 they came out for a repair cafe. Right. Uh, so did that have an impact absolutely. on... Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Since then... Uh, it tripled the number of people that came to our repair cafe. That's incredible. And we get from all over Australia in our request uh, to help them setting up a local repair cafe. Right. Okay, so someone listening who wants to set up their own local repair cafe, how can they begin? What's the best place to start? Yeah, well, uh, there's a, a few steps to go through. <laughs> well, I usually say if you have to start from scratch, I would say knock on the door of the local mansion. Mm-hmm. Because they have and the space and the tools yep. and probably also some know-how on, yes. on how to do some basic repairs. And that's a starting point because it, you need all of that. You need and the know-how and the tools and the space and to space, do it. Yeah. Not all menchettes will have all the expertise that you need, but that's the starting point. And the, the key thing is going to find those people that are knowledgeable and, and can spend time volunteering largely. Yeah to help with that sort of program. And it is built largely on the back of volunteers, isn't it? It is, yeah. 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 So you do need a, a level of community involvement. Yeah. And Although we took it a step further because we have those in-house experts. Yeah. Um, 
but we also have a manship in the Marekville store, and we are talking here to the Paramata oh, manship as well yeah. to, to help us continuing uh, with the, the repair cafe here in Paramata. But we offer it as a package basically to councils. Mm -hmm. So they pay our experts to come out because they are on the payroll. We can't just continue doing all of that at no cost. Mm -hmm. uh, but for participants, it's free. It remains a free service or, well, I should say free uh, assistance, assistance yeah. uh, for every individual. Yeah, that's fantastic. In summing up, what do you wish people knew about this process and this program and what you're, you're doing? I mean, if, if you could talk to someone who had... They wanted to change, but they had no idea of how to begin or how, just on a personal level, how to start making this shift. What do you want them to know? Well, um, that's a good one. I reckon you could say uh, inform yourself or listen a little bit more to the stories out there about what actually the impact is of uh, throwing in your bin or throwing away things, mm -hmm. the, the consequence of that. And this is where the War on Waste program was excellent yes. for to tell that behind-the-scenes story. They and, visualized it yeah, too, you know, that yeah, you could see. Yeah. Yeah. And that made people thinking about that, yes, it's not solved by, by throwing it away or putting it in a bin. It starts then. It's yes. a big problem that then starts. So if people are aware of that, uh, that's the starting point of everything. Once you realize that there is a different way of doing things, uh, that's where we then come in. That's mm. where we then open the door for those people and have them all those options of bringing it in, learning how to do it themselves and uh, buying secondhand. That, that's what we then can help people with. But it starts with them being aware of, of the impact. So what's the one thing you would like people to take away from our conversation and, and highlighting what you do here? That buying secondhand is the new normal. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.